Hello and welcome to Hope Community Church, Helensburgh. We're a new church with a desire to bring our hope in Jesus Christ to the people of Helensburgh and beyond and live as a community shaped by the gospel. If you live in Helensburgh or are just passing through, we'd love you to join us sometime. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.15 at the Helensburgh and Lowman Civic Centre. But now, here's the latest sermon from Hope Community Church, Helensburgh. You can find the Bible references and more information in the episode notes. Well, let's turn to the Bible now. And uh, as the summer holidays are uh, perhaps sadly over, but they are over, and uh, we're going to go back to uh, Galatians and finish uh, our series. We'd left off at the end of chapter four, ready to go into chapter five, where perhaps things start to get a little more uh, practical. In a way, they've already been very practical, seeing the the core truths of the, the gospel, the good news Uh, And yet Paul, as he writes, uh, goes deeper and deeper into this. So we're going to read verses 1 through 12 of Galatians chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is the word of God. Amen. Well, let's uh, stay in this passage. Perhaps verse 1 is worth reading again. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In uh, 1863, many of you will know, Abraham Lincoln made the Emancipation Proclamation. He declared that slaves in the rebellious states, at least, were now free. And he didn't actually end slavery at that point in the USA, but he did give hope. He gave something for people to hold on to, to, to work towards. He had that power in people's minds and we often think of people especially u.s presidents i suppose being the the pinnacle of power you know leading the 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 world's superpower and surely if any man can make these statements it's a man like the the u.s president slaves are free and of course good can be done by men 
and women. But these things are, are nothing compared to what Paul is talking about here. He is talking about a freedom of our whole lives, a freedom that is eternal, a freedom that every single one of us, young and old, male and female, we all need the freedom that Jesus gives. Because the statement that Paul makes at the start of this passage, and it is quite a difficult passage, just end the summer holiday straight into this, but at the core, and what we'll be seeing the next few weeks is that it's freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And as we said, this is really getting to the, to the practical point of this whole letter, how it uh, applies to, to, to us as a church and as individuals. Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, we, we were singing it and it was finished upon that cross. He has set us free from, from lots of things, really. Uh, and the main point of, of this particular letter is that he has set us free from having to, to keep these laws, particular laws, in order to be accepted by God, in order to be one of God's children, in order, in other words, to be a Christian. And so uh, we, we read about circumcision there. That is the big example of this letter, that people had to be circumcised, males had to be circumcised if they wanted to be a Christian. They were saying, you need to become Jewish before you can be a proper Christian. You don't just need Jesus and faith in him. What you need is adding on circumcision. And this had become slavery. People were telling the Galatians, teachers were telling the Galatians, they had to do this or they wouldn't be accepted by God in the same way. Now, it may seem irrelevant to us because I've certainly never heard any church in this country saying you need to be circumcised. It's not really something that we are dealing with uh, on one level. And yet what we've seen in Galatians as, as we've gone through is that, that this same spirit, the same attitude, if you like, does still exist. We have certain walls that people need to clamber over, certain ladders that people need to climb, or we can have them. For some people, it may be that you need to belong to a certain denomination, that if you must have the very uh, narrow beliefs on all the, the secondary issues, or perhaps even you must have a certain set of political beliefs, that you must believe in a certain way about, uh, about things like uh, social justice, for example. Or even it can be subtle, and it's kind of an attitude that you must do a certain amount of service for the church or whatever to really be a Christian. Or it can even be a, you must dress in a certain way. Some churches give that impression as well. We add these laws. We, we tell people there's things they must do in addition to faith in Jesus. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has done it, that it really was finished upon that cross, that he dies as one who has fulfilled every single part of the law, that he has obeyed, that he has kept it all completely. And so he is able to set us free. The true freedom 
is found in this because instead of slaving away hoping to please God or hoping to please others even if we if we don't believe then we'll, we'll, we'll be living for something enslaved to something trying to please others uh, but hoping to get some morsel at the end of our lives hoping to get some acceptance hoping that it'll all just work out as if by magic but no true freedom is found because we are brought into his family he welcomes us as his own children we've seen that earlier in the letter we are adopted as his sons and daughters we are free because there's no guilt found in us because when we see the law as, as we talk about in our confession and our assurance when we see the law we see that we have failed to keep it there is guilt for us and we often feel that guilt we often feel that shame but we are free because jesus has died in our, our place and there is no guilt there is no shame it has been removed at the cross through what jesus has done and so we are not trying to impress god we don't stand before god ashamed we stand before him able to rest knowing that he has loved us that he has rescued us from our slavery our slavery to the law our slavery to sin in fact which paul says to the romans that the wages of sin is death we are free even from death uh, in eternity and yet those of us who, who believe will perhaps know this tension of verse one do not submit again to a yoke of slavery there is a problem with the galatians and there is a problem with us that we often want to to submit to, to a yoke of slavery because what we have is a tendency to to ignore or forget what jesus has done uh, and so we'll try and go in our own strength we'll try and go in our own good name we'll try and impress god we'll try and impress others and i suspect that most of us every day make choices that are not living in freedom but are guided by our fears over whether we're good enough in god's eyes or maybe even other people's how often have we felt like i I can't be a christian because i've not done this i can't be a christian because i've done this well the message of the bible is well yes you have done these things but what makes you a christian is not what you have or haven't done what makes you a christian is what jesus has already finished accomplished on the cross and that is what paul is teaching us here and so as we start to think about being free i want us for a short time to, to to think about this really the choices that we can make the choice that we can make every day whether to live in freedom or to live in in this example circumcision and in enslaving ourselves and taking on that yoke of slavery and perhaps inadvertently but nevertheless rejecting the good news of the gospel that tells us that we are free that jesus has paid it all that our sins are forgiven and that nothing can take that away that there is nothing that we can do that will make god love us but he already loves us and this is not an excuse to do nothing actually paul will make that very clear as he goes through the letter but to be one of god's people to be his children there is nothing that we do except receive a free gift so there's two things i think that that come through in this passage two choices that we make that are really very closely linked but uh just to, to divide up first thing is circumcision or christ it's our first point circumcision or christ really we're saying ourselves or christ and second of all circumcision or the cross 
So first of all, circumcision or Christ. Uh, and you see from, from verse 2, um, th th there's a lot going on. Uh, and it's clear there's, there's, there's something undermining this church. The most common trope, I suppose, for, for spy stories is the idea of a mole. The one who comes in, who gets the information, who undermines an operation or government from the inside, the traitor. These are the people that the Galatians are dealing with. There's people coming into this group of God's people, this community, telling them you need to be circumcised, that you need to do something else to be accepted by God. And this is default humanity. Really, we can apply this to, to, to the furthest person from God, the person who says, I don't believe in God. Because this is how we live. If I do this, then someone will love me. If I do such and such, then someone will accept me. We have it in our own relationships with our friends, with our family, spouses. And, and we apply it to God as if he is as petty as we are. If I do this, then they'll love me. If I don't do this, then they might not love me. Uh, maybe you've stopped exchanging gifts with someone because maybe they stopped giving a gift or you stopped giving a gift and you don't want to be the one who gives a gift and get nothing in return. And we wouldn't like to think of ourselves as doing that, but we probably have. We, we see most things as basically transactional. That's how we treat our lives. If I do this, then I will get this. If I do that, I'll get, if this person does this, then I will do this for them. And we might not put it like that, but that's really how we live maybe the exception is we're probably different with um with children um you know we'll give a gift nothing in return and that is how god treats us we are his children he gives us the gifts and we give nothing back in return all we do is we receive that gift that eternal life that forgiveness for sin all we do is we receive it. But that's not really often how we think of, of, of Christianity or, or any religion. We think, I do this and God will do that. It's kind of an equation for us. I will do this, God will do that. And you know, you hear people say, well, if God exists, I've been a pretty good person, so surely he'll see that I'm okay. And that's, that's religion. And what God offers in the gospel is so much more because what he's saying is, I've done this. All you must do is receive. That's the freedom that Jesus brings. It is God saying, it's finished. Receive it. Enjoy it. Enjoy Jesus. Enjoy the Son of God. That's the wonderful blessing of the gospel, in fact. It's Jesus himself knowing him and having his peace and rest and so on. So the choice is really, maybe not circumcision, the choice is, am I going to treat God as someone I can deal with? Am I going to treat my life as purely transactional? Am I going to think that I can make God accept me, that I can manipulate God? Or am I going to look to Jesus? Am I going to deepen in my relationship with Jesus? Am I going to know Jesus and enjoy Jesus and have his peace and rest? That is the choice that we are making every single day. And this is, this is the, the, the most important thing, really. Paul's words are stern. If he, he says... If you take circumcision, in other words, if you try and rely on the things that you do, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. If we try and go on our own, if we try and add anything, if we try and take Jesus out of it, then he's worthless to us. 
Because what we're saying is that Jesus isn't enough and that we must do something. And that makes Jesus completely pointless to us. We need him. And as well, if we try and add one thing, Paul is saying, if you're, you're obligated to keep the whole law. If we try and say, well, if uh, God will accept me because I, I do my devotions every day, silly example, then we're putting ourselves under an obligation to, to do everything perfectly. If we say you must do this, we're saying you have to do everything perfectly. One foot wrong, one foot out of place in our whole lives, and we've blown it already. Uh, and we won't be accepted by God. We're lost for all eternity. Isn't that a, an exhausting way to live life? Constantly trying to tick the boxes, constantly trying to look like the good person, trying to uh, keep up appearances. Isn't it exhausting, anxiety-inducing that we, we might have messed up? That is, that is slavery. And, and it's the same in our society. If you don't have the right opinions, if you don't say the right things, if you don't keep to the, 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 the ways of society, re religion is rife in, 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 in wider society. If we don't keep to these things, then we can't be forgiven. We can't be accepted. And it's slavery. It's slavery because we are enslaved to these things, to the opinions of others, to what is supposed to be believed. And how much worse when we treat God like that, when we think that we can bring something and we think that we can do it. It's so extreme, actually, that Paul even describes as people being severed from Christ, as fallen away from grace. I don't think he's saying that someone who has truly believed can, can fall away. What he's saying is there's people who come and who have never really believed, but they have just gone on their own strength and actually ignored Christ and have rejected that grace and are severed from Christ. Perhaps there's a bit of wordplay going on here. Cutting off the foreskin is not just being physically cut off, but cutting ourselves away from Christ. That is what we are doing when we rely on ourselves. We are rejecting Jesus and saying, great Jesus, but I can do something. I can add something more. And when we put it like that, you see how, how dreadful it is. The self-reliance instead of following Jesus. We're saying that the Son of God, the one who came to earth, who died in our place, who rose from the dead, he's not enough. That we need something more, that we need to do something. No, Jesus is enough. And it is extreme language, and it will only get more extreme, actually. We can't work off our debt to God, but it has been paid by Jesus. The debt is our sin. We've, uh, we've, we've banked a lot of our debt uh, and we're bound to keep the whole law. And as we try and pay more off, we actually just add more years to our sentence, more to our account. What we need is Christ. And it all seems negative so far, but then Paul reminds us what it really is to live as a Christian. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So instead of working, what do we do? We wait. A Christian is someone who lives with that hope, knowing Jesus will come back, that he has promised that he will, that he will make everything good again, that he will undo all the sadness, all the badness. 
and it's not something that we work for, but that we wait for it with eager expectation. And, and frankly, that does take faith in the sense of trusting in what Jesus has said. Because most of us are people who, who like to get things done, who like to see things finished, who like to see things done, and so we will try really hard. But what we must do is trust that Jesus has done it and that he will finish it uh, when he returns. And in the meantime, it is finished because it's already guaranteed because he has already died. And so we don't do anything that makes us worthy of it. We don't have however many years we have in this life to make ourselves worthy. He has died for us. He has accepted us. And as we live now, we are living by the Spirit. That's what we're going to see in the next few weeks. So, But it's through the Spirit, as he says in verse 5, that we live. It's not that we're living to get to a point at the end of our lives. We are already rescued. If we have Christ, we are already saved. And we now live by his Spirit. In other words, we live not trying to work our way to God, but we live knowing that we are already God's children, that we already belong to him. And so that is freedom. And of course, it doesn't excuse us from, 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 from not doing things. It doesn't mean we just live however we want and it, it's fine. That's not real freedom because we're just enslaving ourselves again. It's faith working through love that counts. We'll see more of this next week. We're just going to look at the, the last few verses of this uh, section, how we used our freedom. But it is faith working through love. Love for God, love for neighbour, love for those around us. The way we live does matter, but not as anything that can make us worthy of God's love, but as being one of his children. So what do we take from this, from this first point? And I think the main thing is really what we've been saying over and over. What we need is Christ. What we need is Jesus. We need a complete devotion to and love for Jesus. And it's so cliched, but it really is all about Jesus and not the Jesus who is simply a good teacher the Jesus who has lived and died for us and risen from the dead the Jesus who has taken our sin on his shoulders and has paid the debt at the cross and rescued us and made us free from having to keep all these laws to be accepted by God and has brought us to be one of his father's children that is the Jesus we need if we try and build our lives on anything that we do, on ourselves, on the opinions of others, then we are rejecting Jesus and what he has done. And Paul is clear here that is falling away from grace. And so we are dedicated to Jesus, to knowing him, to being like him, to spending time with him through his word and through <coughs> prayer. And it's not that these things become works, but they are joys in, in being with Jesus. And they are simple Christian things in one way and yet so easy to, to forget uh, as we go on and just sort of become self-reliant. So we look to Christ. We don't look to ourselves. And if we look to ourselves, then Christ is of no use to us. And that is a dangerous place to be in. And what we do is we wait. That's the other thing. We need patience because there will be difficulties in this life. There will be trials. There will be things that we're tempted to, to do ourselves. But we wait with patience, knowing that Jesus will come back. As we were saying to the kids, we persevere. We keep going. And that is one of the more difficult things of faith, isn't it? Having the patience 
in this life, seeing all that is wrong, longing for Jesus to come back, longing for this world to be made right, that the hope that we have is that this world will be made right, that everything will be made new and nothing else can offer that hope. But Paul isn't finished because the second thing is circumcision or the cross. Again, our own works or the cross. Uh, and what he's saying here, actually, uh, in verse 11, is that the cross is offensive. It's offensive in its true form. Now, there's a certain type of church person who is highly devoted to the church, but doesn't actually believe the Bible, um, doesn't actually believe the gospel. Uh, uh, and it's sadly common in our country, it's common throughout the world. I think it was about eight years ago now, uh, a man who was a, a minister in a church, possibly as a minister in a church, he described Jesus dying for our sins. The word he used was ghastly, ghastly theology. What he says, the idea that a man, that God would die in our place, he said it was ghastly theology. And he was not the first to say it. It won't be the last. Um, and it's probably a mainstream view for most people outside the church. The idea that Jesus dies in our place, that the Son of God is given to die, is ghastly to most people. It is offensive for so many reasons. But that's exactly what happened. Jesus died on the cross, and that is the message of the Bible. And if we lose the cross, we lose the gospel we lose Christ, we lose everything. There is a teacher, clearly from verses 7 through 12, that Paul is speaking against, who is taking them away from the gospel, telling them, you must be <coughs> circumcised. Taking them away from the cross, not just from Christ, but from his cross. He says, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Truth does matter, especially when it comes to faith, especially when it comes to to, to Christianity. That seems such an obvious statement. And yet, we live in what some people call post-truth world. We live in a world where people will say, speak your own truth. But really, um, we can look at these outward things and sort of scoff a little. But where I think we often find it is we don't like truth when it goes against us. That when we're told the truth about ourselves, when the, especially when the Bible speaks to us and tells us that we're in the wrong, that we're not doing what we should be doing, that, um, that we haven't uh, done what the gospel says, we, we don't like to hear it. We don't like to hear that we, we're not good people, that we have sinned, that we have fallen short of the glory of God, as we were reading in Romans earlier, that we've fallen so far short we don't like these truths these things when we read the bible we don't instinctively agree with and we want to go against that we want to reject that but what paul is saying here is not to be hindered from obeying the truth from hearing the truth from obeying it again it's not that what we do isn't important it's just not what saves us that we must obey the truth and they're being hindered from that by adding works by adding the things that they do, they are being hindered, they are being kept from obeying the truth, from trusting in the gospel, from trusting in Christ, from seeing the cross for what it is. Faith isn't disobedience. Sometimes we may think of it like that. Faith isn't disobedience, though. 
Faith is listening to the truth and holding on to it. Faith is keeping to the truth even when everything seems stacked up against it. Faith is not against fact, as people often claim it is. It is squarely for the truth. And belief and behaviour do go together. If we say that we are free, if we say that we are free from the guilt, from sin, from shame, from death even, we must live in that freedom. We must obey the truth. But the cross is being taken away. That truth is being taken away. And the whole church is at danger. This is why this is so dangerous. Paul goes on to say, persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. Like, you know, like yeast goes through the whole thing, causes it all to rise. When someone brings in a teaching that goes against the gospel, even one person, it can destroy a whole church, a whole community. That is what Paul is saying. If a gospel fundamental is lost, everything can be lost. That is how important the cross is. That is how important Christ is, that we cannot move on from these things, we cannot lose these things, we cannot even flirt with losing these things. That is how important um, this is. And we don't like the idea of walls or, or division, and probably these things often come far too easily, uh, on the other hand. And yet, I think it's sometimes true we like our, our comfort and how much we need, we forget how much we need to have clarity on what is true, on what we believe, and why we believe it. If we go away from God's word, even with the best intentions of of unity and love for others, if we go away from God's word, then we risk the whole church. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little change can bring about huge consequences, tearing down a community of God's people. These gospel fundamentals must be kept to or what we're doing ceases to exist and it isn't unimportant hair splitting it's the truth of god's word creator of all things that is what at stake just a pinch of the wrong thing ruins everything now paul is confident they'll return to the truth he knows god is with them and the one troubling them will bear the penalty but doesn't change the fact that this must be dealt with this is why he's writing this letter and in fact we'll, we'll, we'll come back to um, to verse 11 verse 12 is so strong in fact it's offensive to some people I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate uh, themselves and that kind of dresses it up uh, a little bit um, he's saying actually that they should basically go all the way in their circumcision that they should castrate themselves it is strong language um, He's saying, get these people out of the church. Get them away. They will ruin things. And really, part of what he might be saying as well within that is there was pagan priests at the time. This is what they, they would castrate themselves as part of their ritual purity and their, their, their religion. And he's kind of saying, if you love your ritual, if you love your religion so much, if, if they love all these things, why don't they just go join the pagans? Why don't they just... Because they do not believe in the cross they do not believe in christ because they find the cross offensive and, and paul speaks about this in first corinthians as well we definitely don't have time to go into that but the cross of jesus is is telling us that 
only Jesus and his sacrificial death can rescue us. If we lose the cross, we really do lose everything. And this was offensive to, to everyone back then, and to everyone today, really. It was offensive to the Jews who rejected the idea that Jesus was God and could be killed in this way, reject uh, the offensive that they didn't have to keep these laws. It was offensive to the non-Jews, to the Greeks and to the Romans, because it was one God, because it was weakness, because it was a shameful death to have. And today it's still offensive because it tells us that God doesn't help those who help themselves. It tells us that we have a problem that can't be fixed by our own will, that can't be fixed by treatment, by, by anything. It tells us that we're not the good people that we like to think we are. It's offensive. It tells us that there is only one way to be saved, that there are not many roads up the mountain, but there is only one, only one way. And that is through Christ on the cross by trusting in Jesus. It tells us that all our personal achievement, all our ambition or merit is worthless when it comes to God. That it is destroyed even by Jesus' death on the cross. It is an unflattering message. It is an unpopular message, but it is the message of the Bible, the good news, the gospel, that Jesus is has died in our place. It is what we must have at the centre of any church, the centre of our lives every single day. And so those of us who believe, we must apply it to our own lives. We can't be fooled into thinking we're something we're not. We need to keep coming back to the cross, keep coming back to that freedom, seeing that Jesus has done it all and nothing that we do can fix us. And that is when we are truly free because we are not under condemnation. We are not under guilt. We are not obliged to keep all these laws, but we have been rescued. And of course, we must share that with others when we believe that good news. What else can we do but share it with others? And it will offend. It is offensive because we're saying to people, you need Jesus. You're not good enough. It was offensive to us at one time. It will be offensive. What we must make sure, though, and this is where we often go wrong, the offense that we cause is the cross and, and, and not something else, as it's so easy to do. And if you don't believe, then see we have something that we can't fix within ourselves. And I, I'm certain that, that at least at some points we feel that tension in ourselves, that we don't get it right, that we keep messing up, we keep doing wrong, we can't change our personality, we can't change who we are, we keep hurting others, that no matter how much success we achieve in this life, it's never enough, that no matter how good our name is, that it's never enough, that we can't please God, but that turning to faith in Christ on the cross and him alone, that will bring acceptance from God, that will bring belonging, that brings salvation, that brings freedom. Freedom from having to work for all these things. Freedom from needing the opinion of others. We struggle with that, those of us who believe, but the freedom of knowing that God, the creator of all things, accepts us, welcomes us, loves us, is with us, will never leave us, and will come back and we will be with him forever. And so the choice is, will you receive the gift that God offers? Or will you choose yourself? Will we choose ourselves, those of us who believe even? Will we keep rejecting that 
freedom. When really what we should be doing is waiting patiently, knowing that Christ has done it, being obedient to the truth, loving others, but never relying on, on ourselves, never putting ourselves under that yoke of slavery, standing firm in our freedom, knowing that Christ has done it, standing firm at the foot of the cross, seeing Jesus dying for us there in our place. Thanks for listening. Join us every Sunday at 10.15 as we meet at the Helensborough and Lowman Civic Centre. Find out more on our website, hopehelensborough.org.